Hello and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm Dayton Hopper. And today's episode is brought to you by Honey Badger and Rogue Amoeba. Boom, boom, boom. D. Cole. What is up? You have a solid topic, but before we jump into it... Thank God. I want to just tell you something. That... um, What's it called? That uh, Descript? Oh my gosh. I sent it to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I smacked the, the video is so good. Um, it is so good. So this Descript thing, you want to give the audience a rundown? Yeah. So it's like, I feel like I've had a conversation about making this software with at least ten people over the course of my life. Like, what if there was software where you could like record your own end and it used like WebSockets to send all the audio up and then sync it up and do all the syncing stuff? Yeah, you and I have talked about this a bunch. Yeah. But then they did that, but then they like took it and ran with it. And so they do transcription and they parse your audio and figure out what words you said. And then they have a whole editor that's based on you just edit the text of the episode and it edits the audio of the episode. It's pretty ridiculous. Which is buck wild. The video, the promo video is extremely well done. Made by Sandwich Video. Oh. Of course. I don't know who they are. Lonely Sandwich. I was just... Sandwich Video, uh, you'll probably recognize him. He It's a guy named Adam Lissagor, uh, a.k.a. Lonely Sandwich on Twitter. Hmm. Um, and he, like, he did, I think he did, like, a, some CarMax ads. He did, like, the Casper ads. But it's, like, one guy, and he's always in the video. Huh. But he also owns the marketing company that makes the videos. That's awesome. Um, but he, claimed to fame, was on a podcast in 2007 with Merlin Mann called You Look Nice Today, which is one of the original funny podcasts. Nice. So go check out You Look Nice Today. Much love to Lonely Sandwich. Sweet. Yeah, I'll definitely check him out. Um, yeah, so Descript, the, I mean, it seemed pretty awesome. I haven't messed with any of the, like, WebSocket, you know, two people recording type things. I don't even know if it's WebSockets, whatever, with the two people recording functionality. But, so yeah. I've been wanting to create another podcast. Um, Whew. yep. Called, I plan to merge this. Um, and. Yep. Yep. So I started the podcast today. No, the podcast I've been wanting to make is building Livewire. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make a little soundbite podcast for all the tiny little like problems I solve. You just want a Laravel snippet. <laughs> you want your very own Laravel snippet. Laracast snippet, or is that? Or, sorry, uh, no. What's the what's what is what's uh, Taylor's? Taylor's podcast? Called? I don't know. I stopped following it, unfortunately. What I think it's called the Laravel snippet. Maybe. The Laracast snippet's been around forever, for a while. Um, it probably is. Yes, that's exactly what I want, the Livewire snippet. So it's called Building Livewire. It's not out or anything, but I recorded the first seven episodes today <laughs> in like yeah. in an hour. Well, I guess uh-huh. more than an hour because they're 10 minutes each. Um, and I just had a ball. There's just so many things I need to get off my chest. And uh, so I did, and I thought like, well, one, I've been wanting to you know do this podcast, and I really hate the legwork of podcast editing like i hate dealing with no plans to merge i love all you listeners but man it's just like the worst part of my week is having to put out these shows because it's so monotonous and boring and it's everything i hate like clicking on software and stuff um so i'm gonna try to do it right with this building live wire thing and we'll see how that affects no plans to merge but um they're gonna be these little micro like 10 minute video 10 minute podcasts or less um and I'm using Descript. So I've already recorded the first seven in Descript and it's great. And my plan is to have like, to not use an official like podcast website, but to actually like use a podcast service like Simplecast or something to give me the embed and then put it on the Liveware website under podcast mm. or something and then paste all the Descript transcription for each episode. So I get like that SEO juice. It's also Sweet like... SEO juice. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly, I appreciate it when... Like, so when I was Googling around for stuff DHH said about, about like all the stuff I love about like Ajaxing HTML and stuff, a lot of it was just transcripted, transcripted podcast interviews. 
And I would just read through the transcripts, which were super helpful. Um, wow. So anyway, so that's sort of my plan. And so far it's going really well. And I did use the editing feature once. There was one paragraph that I wanted to just get rid of. It was me like being weird. And I just, just yoink it out. I highlighted the paragraph and I hit delete and it did. The transcription's not perfect. And I say a lot of likes. So <laughs> like if you read the transcript, you're like, let's see, I just said that. You're like, who is this guy? Because it's, you know, I say a lot of likes. Um, yeah, man. So that's so cool, though. I'm glad you're using it. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And then do you go ahead. Once you use it. I'm leaving it up to you to make the call of whether or not we use it yeah. for this. Yeah, for sure. And the nice thing is you can just export audio. Like it's not like linked to anything. So it's not like we have to, it's not a podcast service. It doesn't host mm-hmm. it for you. So, which they're kind of unclear about in the video. Um, but so we could actually just do a trial run, one of these episodes. Um, yeah. And it's free to, to get started and you, it's an actual Mac app, which is nice. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's all good. And then, so I'm picking a podcast host and man, Simplecast just sucks so bad. The new Simplecast interface is just the worst and the design's like horrible. It. Like it's kind of crazy how. I feel pretty strongly that it's like a huge regression. Um, But anyway, Simplecast. um, uh, I was like, well, should I just use Simplecast? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, but uh, I was, I'm like, but I want to see if there's something with an API so that I can just never use the UI at all. So if I can get this work in where I like descript and then export and then write a little script that uploads the episodes through an API, that would be sick. Well, you know, I mean, it's just RSS. Uh, what do you mean? Podcasts. Yeah, that's what their RSS. their interface is. But I mean, an API to actually upload the video and like set the title and everything. Right, but that's just RSS. You're saying, what are like you the proposing? Uploading, I'm saying you could just generate an RSS feed, and that's how you set the title. And be my own podcast host be your own podcast host. right but then i'd but have then, to host then we the don't files. get the analytics and then we don't get all the other shit yeah 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 yep well yeah libsyn so you would use libsyn which is like the sort of back end of a lot of these services gotcha i did which is like fast streaming okay i i read about libsyn and in just like some forums and i was looking at api solutions that's cool anyway anyway so anyway so that's gonna happen be on the lookout. Happy to look out. What do you got for us today, Decole? All right, so I have a thought. And this is a thought which is a little bit hard to lock down. And I think is an actual problem. Okay. But could just be the symptom of bad habits. Okay. But I think that there's something beyond just the obvious, well, you should have blah, 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 that is like sort of the obvious answer. I think that if you, if you take off your internet critic hat for a moment, you know, and if you take off your, why don't you just hat for a second listener and you go with me on this journey, I think you're going to find that there is actually an interesting software development problem on the other side of this contrived example I'm about to give you. Great. So imagine a web app. Okay. Where you make posts, a blog maybe, right? Mm. It's a web app and you make posts. Reasonable. And, uh, you know, you're building the web app incrementally. So you're adding features over time, right? Yeah. And so you make a blog and it's users and posts, right? And users can make posts, blah, 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 blah. At some point, you decide to add the concept of categories. And you decide that every post can have many categories. And so you have like this many-to-many relationship. Like a taxonomy, uh, like tags. Between, yeah, exactly like taxonomies. Um, now here's, here's where we have to like break from reality a little bit and say, let's assume that for some reason we don't want to have a situation where, uh, a post doesn't have a category or a category doesn't have a post. 
Okay. Right? And so we have like a default category that we're going to apply to a new post. Yeah. Just called default. And I think WordPress actually might do this. Um, so when we create a new post, we're just going to on save or whatever, uh, link it up with the new category. Yeah. Um, or maybe even like on saving will pop up a little dialog box that says, choose which category this post should go into. And if you don't choose any, then we just choose the default category for you. Yep. So now I have a production database full of posts that have no category. Okay. But I've introduced code, which for every new post, uh, assumes that it will have a category. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so when I run my tests and I'm creating posts for all of my old tests that I wrote before I wrote this new code, all of those users are now getting categories created for them because of the, the hook. Right. Yeah. And so I can run my tests and everything will pass. Yeah. But when I go to look at my website in the place where I, you know, assume that there are categories for users yeah. in my template, uh, if, you know, the categories relationship is empty. Cannot call name on undefined categories. Yeah, user category first or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I have this weird situation where my data is out of sync with my thing. And so the solution is obvious, right? You just write a little migration that adds anything that doesn't have categories to the default category and then you're good. Yep. But the point to me of the the example is these places where by changing your code, you change the data that your tests are being given in a way that gets it out of sync with what's in production. Yeah. And so you can not notice that there's more work that needs to be done to like get production ready to deal with this new code. Yeah. And I was thinking, is there a way around this? Uh, and I had this harebrained, crazy idea that ties in with one of our favorite topics on the show over the course of many years, this show and other shows, feature flags. Okay. Is there a way, Now, this is where I want you to help me, is there a way that we can somehow feature flag tests um and basically this is this is so difficult it's not even feature flags that i really want what i want is like release number flags or something for tests where i say what release was this test introduced in you know and then i kind of want to run the test with data seeded as it would have been seeded at that point. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So the the problem... Now help me out here. So data, like I'm going to reiterate some things you said to help myself and the listener. Um, mm-hmm. Like this is a very classic scenario of updating the code and locally you update your code and data. Um, and you're dealing with, you know, stupid seed data that you update, but mm-hmm. in production, your production database is like, uh, the, the, the metaphor that's coming to mind is like a river. I don't know if it's a right, mm-hmm. but like your code is, is the boat. Oh, I don't know. That's a bit bad, <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the production data is a timeline. Like it's, it's, um, it's the tailwind of an airplane, like the cloud, whatever the, the, um, what do airplanes leave behind them? 
A jet stream? Jet stream. What's the harmful thing that's like a conspiracy? Chemtrail. It's a chemtrail. It's a chemtrail. So, <laughs> yeah. So the database is a chemtrail because the database is not uh, perfect at every point in time like the code base is. So you mm-hmm. have to either write migration, you write a, write a data migration um, mm-hmm. that brings your chemtrail up to speed so that the code mm-hmm. applies to all of it, or you change your code to adapt to the chemtrail. Like one has to adapt. Um, and in the cases of the code adapting, that's when you see things like decorator versioning, like code versioning, where you would have like some bit of code that um, transform. You know, there's you could write code that works with that. Like you could literally just make it not a constraint that, um, or if you try to get categories first, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you could just add a bit of logic that's like if no categories field is set, then you know default it to this or right sure. yeah. So like th- those are the those are the things that immediately came to mind that I imagined you would lump under the like don't just say like well you should have just done this or why don't you just do this because that would be those things right yeah right that's the obvious yeah thing um my real question and the thing i really want to get out of this is like how can i anticipate this like how can i build a system that always reliably allows me to anticipate the differences so like say i'm about to merge a giant pull request right yep how can i say okay now run run all of these tests with the cedars how they were before this pull request right right and then also run them with how they were will be after this pull request and see which ones fail. And like some of them will probably fail, right? Because they're going to be the the new functionality. But what we want to look for is what fails with the old data that is an old test. Right? Yeah, so this is an example of like let's so let's just go down this road. Let's say that you I'm trying to think if there's a link between updating factories and this sort of thing. Like, let's just pretend that factories are immutable mm-hmm. so that every time you change a factory, it's along with... We, the... you could, we could just decide that factories are immutable. Yeah. That could actually be the solution. Well, hold on. I don't think that's the whole thing. So if okay. factories are <laughs> immutable, then, then the code at point A... So the code at point A doesn't have a default category. So the yes. so the so the database has no category set on on default. Mm-hmm. The point the the code at point B has categories as a default. Now in the normal scenario, I'm just replaying the normal scenario where when you move code from A to B, but the data but there's still data that reflects the code at point A, then you could come into these problems. And if you update your factories and seeders locally to reflect your factories and your cedars are the thing that anchor you to the database. So as soon as they drift out of sync with what's in the production database, you've now created a problem if you didn't write code to sure. migrate and so the code there. I, th- I think there's kind of an obvious solution here, which is never update factories and cedars, only write migrations. Well, if you write um, a migration, you would have to... So we have to figure out what we're talking about. Or don't update... Don't update factories and seeders without writing a migration that updates, you know, that updates your data right. in the same way. Yeah. But that's why I specifically chose a situation where I'm actually using like a like a lifecycle hook to create the thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, because because it would be silent. Right. Yeah. Because exactly. the code change is not inside of you're not changing the factory right cedar and i you're changing i just changed right and i changed and it's like time based so it makes sense it's the type of change you would make where you're like oh yeah well when we save this we'll create this thing and it's also not something where i can create a a field on either model and give it a default or make it nullable or something yeah you know yeah because it's a many to many so it's this thing where it's like all of the normal places i would expect to catch something like that I don't, you know? 
Yeah, right. I mean, it's which which is which gets us down to the more pure question of the matter, right? And gets us away from the like, like I do think that you're the place you were going, which is like, you can create like a mental rule about like factories and cedars, and if you're updating those, you need to be writing a migration at the same time. Like, I think that's a valid right. But I'm with you. Like, let's see if we can do better, even just for experimental sake thought thought experiment's sake like is there a way that we can build a system that takes care of this problem that alerts you yeah. of the problem basically that, that yeah. that's the goal is there a system we can build i want this to fail in ci yeah right yeah okay that's the goal the goal is for this to fail in ci so let's yep. let's go extreme here and say that oh, i'm trying to <laughs> There's we're gonna have to be, we're gonna be out in outer space for a minute until we can find Please, something that's grounded. Why, that's why we're here. Yep. Let's say that like every test has a dock block that says version, and it's uh-huh. the latest version that it's and the version is just a commit hash. Yeah. And and it will that basically says that this test should run against this commit hash. Okay. Everything up to this commit hash or this commit hash? All right, every well, test has... this commit hash includes everything up to this commit hash, so it should be fine. So maybe there's a first, there's a test run that runs all the commit hashes, all the tests with their commit hash, against their commit hash. Uh-huh. So in CI, in production, or in production, these tests pass. Hmm. Right, 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 right. Okay. Then... There's a system that runs the test against the latest commit. And so the problem is we're not going to get test failures because we're working with fresh data. We need to somehow, we need to, there needs to be a system that versions the migrations. Oh no, because it's not a migration change. There has to so be. So here's, here's huh. what I'm thinking. Okay. Right. Um, what I'm kind of thinking is. Is there a way that you could say write like some sort of a test runner that runs the runs the so say we replace refresh database the refresh database trait yeah. with another trait that is like refresh version to database or something like that yeah right mm-hmm. and then what that does is all of the refresh database stuff and then all of the uh seeding stuff so say like maybe maybe we make a rule that like all of your seeding stuff has to go in the setup method or something right yeah so then all of your fresh database stuff and your setup methods are run uh and then that database is cached and then we check out the latest right the thing that we're pring and then we run it against that database that was created based on the doc block commit hash yeah yeah, there has to be a full test run. There has to be a test, right? That's what you're saying with the Cedar thing. Let's say that forget about versioning migrations or anything. If you, in this example, if we run the whole test suite against the previous commit hash and keep the resulting database, so don't wipe it, but let all, all the data that's created live there, and then run no but things things will change it right like well things even like the test will clean up after themselves like but like in theory if there's a can create podcast uh or can't can create post test Mm -hmm. it creates a post in the database the or the category field is null then it Mm -hmm. keeps that database right then there's a Right, because if you update to the new hash, it would say can create post, and it would just create the new one. There would be nothing that checks for parity between the two. Hmm. So maybe what we need is some kind of a snapshot test. How so? Is there a... I don't know. I don't know. This is just what I'm thinking. Like, Is there a way that we could do something where like, we run the entire... Ooh. We run the entire suite, right? And then we could we snapshot the databases and compare them or something 
after running the entire suite on both hashes. It's good. Oh, uh, we'd like to take a minute and thank you to our shoot, sponsors. Shoot my goot. Shoot, shoot me right in the goot. In the goodle doodle. First oh. off, we want to thank Honey Badger for providing us food for this episode. Um, food on the table for our families so that we can record the episode and not forage and hunt and gather. Thank you, Honey Badger, for being great. Honey Badger is a error monitoring solution. It, you add them to your Laravel app in your exception handler. It takes two seconds to install it. And now in your production app, when users hit exceptions, you are notified about them. You get all sorts of information, stack traces, stuff that they were doing at the time that this happened, info about the specific user, what other errors happened to this user, all the fun information that you definitely need to be aware of for your app. They do um, the pinging whatever, like real-time checks, making sure your website is alive and they'll let you know if your website dies without you knowing. They do heartbeats and whatever they check-ins, they call them, that make sure that your cron job is up and running and healthy, your cron scheduler. Um, which is extremely useful. Um, and they're just an all-around great company. Customer support is killer and fast and awesome, and their intercom bubble is waiting for you to talk to a real human who knows a thing or two about development. Um, so Honey Badger is great. Please use them. They work really nicely with Laravel and other systems. Thank you to Honey Badger. Also, this week, we are brought to you by Rogue Amoeba. Rogue Amoeba is uh, a software company that creates very, very good apps, mainly for the Mac. Uh, I use them on the Mac and on Windows, actually. This week, we're talking about their app, SoundSource. Caleb, do you know what SoundSource does? No. Let me tell you what SoundSource does. Please don't. SoundSource is a volume mixer for your computer. Uh, you ever have a situation where like the alerts from an app are super loud? You can just turn that app down. Uh, if you mm. want to have certain audio from certain apps going to certain output devices, you can do that. Uh, so you can route audio from different uh, from different apps to different places. You can change the volume of different apps. You can add an EQ to any given stream of audio, whether that's audio from a certain app, all of your output audio, whatever. Uh, you can do amazing, amazing things. And they have this feature called Boost, where if a certain app is not loud enough, even at 100% volume, you just click Boost and it just gets magically louder. Nice. It is amazing. If you have ears and a computer, <laughs> install SoundSource, brought to you by rogue amoeba sound source rogue amoeba thank you to our sponsors thank you for sponsoring the show thanks sponsors. now back to the show Ugh. right so is it the current it's the current test suite again the problem is that your test suite like reflects the code base like you might have code additions in your test suite so you can't keep the same right, test suite right. you know in this example you could but there has to be something with the data i mean like you could all right let's say let's say that you have the you pull down the actual production database sure and you use that as your database seeder so you don't do refresh database you just like keep that and then you run the tests you're not going to run against an issue because all your tests are creating new things. There has to be a test that says like, check that. Oh boy. All right. So in the test, here's the test. The test that matters for us here is the can view post categories page. The page where it shows the posts with the categories and hits that null error, right? Right. Like we, we have to, to work backwards concretely. Here's what we have to establish. We need a test that tries to load the new page that accesses the ca the post arrow category arrow first name, right? Yes. Right. And that's going to fail if there's no first category name. But in the current setup, all our seeders will make it pass. So we need to somehow have a test that provides data 
that's bad. So maybe the cedar has to be an old cedar. Right. And this that's kind of what I'm saying is like, oh, yeah. So maybe we just version the cedars. And in this case, I mean, the cedars is the is like the just the line where you say like factory model arrow create, you know? Yeah. That's so the maybe seeding. we maybe we like hack the factory. There has to like let's pretend that we're not using like normal Laravel testing workflow. Let's say that there's a testing workflow where every single test starts from a SQLite snapshot. You know? Okay. Yeah. Those yep. snapshots are versioned. Okay. So this test, when you update the code, when you update the code, you have to update the snapshot to make it pass because otherwise it's going to give you that failure. You know? Yep. And to update the snapshot, there's some system that's like, like, you know, make sure you update the real live production data. You know, anytime you're updating a snapshot means you need to write a migration. Yes. Yes. So that feels right. Yeah. But does it does it actually work in CI? Talk me through a CI run. Yeah, okay. You know? So there's a folder called um okay, so every test has a corresponding every test is one method long. Okay? Mhm. And every test has its own SQLite database. Mm-hmm. Okay? And Okay, so every test test is one method long, and every test has a corresponding SQLite database. And right, so you update the code. Now you run the whole test suite, and you get a failure. And you realize that the failure is because your SQLite file is old. Right? Sure. I mean, it would give you... hmm, But you would update that locally... Then you would get passing, then you would push it, and then CI would pass, which is the problem. So we need a way for for it to run the old. It, what we need is to run the new code against the old data, right? Right, like, right. yeah, totally. But only in tests that were written that were not written in this pull request so say i have a test which is like can view the posts page right yeah um it's an old test it's always passed blah 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 right what i need is to run the factories checked out of the old commit followed by so maybe that's what we do, dude. Maybe we have our factories as like a submodule or something. You know? No. So like maybe there's a way to just check out the factories folder from a different commit. Yeah. And then run the tests. And maybe that gets us there. Yeah. No, it doesn't because that created hook still. That's on the model. Is it safe to say? So in this case, Mm -hmm. you would update the factories. It's not that it's an invisible change, you know, and you're just defaulting to creation of one of one category with a post. You would need to update the factory. Why? Because you're in the because the test, that's the reason. The test is a can view post page, not a can create post, you know, test. It's a can view post page test, and in that test you need to see the database with a factory that has a category to simulate what is now happening upon post creation. Right, but I would just wouldn't just creating a post also create a category? Oh, you're saying like in a model hook? Yeah. Yeah, but in reality, you wouldn't do that, right? 
Maybe. No, think about it. If you were to actually write this bit of code, you would do the logic in a way that you would have to change the factory, right? Maybe. How would you do the logic? You would do post colon colon create pass. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that it's a uh, um, belongs to. Then there's a category ID field. Mm -hmm. And then you would say category ID arrow. So you could set the default in the database. That's why it's many to many. It's many to many. There's no category ID. Fine. You would, you still like, where would you do it automatically? You would create the post and then you would write logic to right after you created the post yeah, exactly. to just attach it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then you would need to simulate. Like, I, I think that's the common, the most common way that that would be written or anything like this would be explicitly in logic, which means that your factory has to mirror that logic, which mm -hmm. means that if you hold yourself to a standard that anytime you're updating a factory, you're doing a thorough check that basically you need to update your migrations when you're changing a factory, meaning you have to write a migration that changes old data mm -hmm. when you change a so, factory. So while I appreciate that, the reason I made the example what it was was to avoid uh, why don't you just do it the easier way, right, make the problem right. I do, easier. Right, I do right. want to ground it though because like, I think I needed to explore that to come to that conclusion. It's tricky stuff, but right. So for, as for an automated solution, like a CI breaking solution. Like, is there a way that if it was a model hook that you could actually, that's the, cause that's the stuff. It's like, I feel like there is a clear enough line. Like the real thing that we want to do, right. Is that for like every, For all of the setup method, we want to have one thing checked out. And like, I know that setup method here means like for, if, if every test was one file, right? One method, yeah. Um, yeah, if there was one method per file, um, then what we want is to have the discipline to put all of our setting up the world to be how we need it in the setup method. Yeah. And then all of the like, do business logic and make assertions in the actual test method, right? And if we did that, then we should be able to say, run this setup method with this checked out, then check out the other thing, then run the assertion method. Yeah, yeah, right. So if you switched your style of testing like drastically, and let's say that... Well, I, I'm wondering if there's just like a way that... Like, this is the drastic version, but I'm wondering if we can take this principle and make it less drastic by, like, introducing a test helper that you can run that, uh, you know, say there's, like, a, f say it's, like, um, set up data and it accepts a commit hash and a callback, mm -hmm. right? And then that callback is just a closure. And inside that closure, you do all of your setup all of your database setup stuff. Yeah. You know? And I wonder if there's something there where like, we don't need to do the thing where we like break the whole thing out into setup methods. We can just go into our tests and wrap all of the setup stuff in this, like in this closure version closure or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it would be pretty bonkers, right? Like you'd have to link it to the actual commit hash in the code so that it's using, so that the closure is using, the old code but then when you update the closure you'd have to like serialize the old closure and run i don't know i just like any way i spin it I, I i understand your request i'm just like this is so not even you know so let me try a different angle and see if it produces anything hit me let's say you switch your whole testing strategy so that you're never using factories so that you're using actual so that you're only using cedars no factories, right. only cedars. And let's say that by cedars, I mean like MySQL snapshots type thing. Sure. And there was a way to, I guess I'm trying to think like if we could create a world where all your tests run against a clone of the production database on push to production. So when you push to production, this, oh. 
the CI like takes your production database, clones it, and then gives you this as like a starting point and your tests manipulate and and work with actual data, you know, in production. Interesting. And so you could write all of your tests like as a function of like like it would instead of like creating a user that has a category, you'd have to like find a user that has a category. You would find a user data. that has a category, right? You could create a user that has a category. That would be right. No. Right, but say you wanted to like assert or say sorry, say you wanted to like assert that like you can remove a category from a post. Yeah. Right? The normal way to do it would be like create a post with a category, then remove the category from it. Yep. Right? But instead, if we we're going to run against snapshots, you now have to say like post where post where has category first. Yeah. And then that's your example post. Yep. Right. Because eh, there's lots of places that doesn't work though. But but yeah, as a, interesting. As a way of that's like, an interesting idea. Yeah, because that I mean that really would bring a level of realness of actual real world to your application testing that you could not beat any other way, you know? Like you're literally using a production database that is the production database like five minutes before you want to deploy. And all your migrations, the new migrations, get run on that clone before the tests run. So to make them pass, it's not like it's going to keep that clone. To make them pass, you have to add migrations, you know? Mm -hmm, mm You know what it could be? You could this is this is that road of of uh like big giant real world super sensitive applications where you um I was on a project that that we had to you know like pull down keep a keep a production database locally, you know. Yeah. So that we could test against it. And it discouraged. So basically, because that was the paradigm, there were no factories migrate. You know, tests were slow and it just felt horrible. So it's funny that like, but that is the reason that that we had to do it was because we, we had to know. And that's the only way to know is to pull down the production database and run stuff against it. It's so crazy. Um I wonder if I'm still I still like the idea of like you do you do you are running against like a database right but you're still seeding the database on run yeah so that like you're creating all of the correct things that you need to test against in context of the world as it is during that commit yeah um and then like maybe every time we push to master we like you could add like a sort of like your env sync thing you could add like a git hook that basically says right. like well i guess you would have to do it in github but like every time we merge to master regenerate this thing and then we just run the test suite twice once with a new dump created on run and once with or once with a new seed that's generated at runtime and then once with the old seed that was generated before. Yep, yeah. I mean that um that seems doable. Now, the one thing that I think would make this amazing is if there was a way to not have to have a giant database seeder but instead to intelligently take all of the factories but i don't think you can do that yeah my takeaways from this are one i don't think this is gonna i don't think i'm gonna like attempt to implement anything like this because nothing seems clean enough for my own like day-to-day development but the like what i think we've done is unearthed the realization that in our current style of testing we're leaving gaping holes and that is that gaping hole is accounting for the existing data in production and when we change factories and functionality 
and tests and everything passes and feels great, that means nothing unless we've done something to account for that old data. And that old data is not represented anywhere in our local testing, in our local setup at all, yeah. outside of in our commit history. And that is where yeah. the potential for some automated machine exists. But so I think it's a really good point that on sort of exposing that problem. Yeah. It's interesting. I I am still kind of married to the idea that there's something with feature flags, but I don't I don't know what it is. I'm gonna keep thinking about this. I bet in a future episode I'm gonna have another crazy reckon yeah. to take you on. I'm down. Yeah. But, uh, I definitely think this is like a part one of this, this problem. Yeah, this thing. came from you know the you know the big app with the wizard. Yep. Uh, if you have users that are halfway through that wizard and then they go away for five months and then a bunch of things change in the app. Yeah. And then they come back. It's real interesting. That's yucky problem. Yucky, yucky. Yeah. And I remember having to deal with that. I definitely had that in mind when I was building it. Yeah. I don't know if it, if there's any code that accounts for anything like that, but I've at least had to do some of that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's nasty. Yucky, yucky. Onboarding is tricky stuff. Onboarding is a whole scene, dude. Yeah, man. Whew. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, How's your week been? What you been up to? Oh, uh, I was doing the fly fishing. Oh. Fishing for flies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah I, I saw. Yep. I saw you and your bro. Me and my bro. Uh, so I now have a face to put with the name because you put your brother on the internet. Yep. It's true. I put him on. It's his big debut. Big launch that's right so that was that um a lot of time to think and i wrote down this list this list on the plane for everything in livewire like period like everything Mm -hmm. that needs to be done or could possibly be done in a giant list and then i started to go one by one and sort of just think about them and hash out solutions and stuff like that Um, sure one of them was the livewire podcast and whatever so i came back with renewed vigor I don't know if you caught that like my, one of my first projects was naming Livewire, like getting consistent, like the freaking Twitter handle was Livewire Laravel, which is so dumb. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's Laravel Livewire. Um, cool. I hit up Taylor for permission and he said it's good with him. So cool. Um, and it's LaravelLivewire.com and it's on its own official GitHub organization now, GitHub.com slash Livewire. So, so all of those things that had to be done, I just like did them. And dude, I mean, Livewire's getting there, man. I I fixed like most of the major problems. I feel like it's like nice. pretty much there right now. Like there's a, nice. a ton to do, but honestly, like the big stuff, the big stuff that's been looming over me is pretty much taken care of. So, so now I'm starting to move Sweet. on to the next thing, like the podcast. I'm going to start doing like, I got to start making videos again, like how to actually build stuff with Livewire. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all Livewire for me. All day, all live wire, super exciting. Um, oh, can I tell you one really fun one? I would love that. So I started the building live wire podcast. So I'll try not to like duplicate content here every week. Sure, sure. But polling. So you know wire poll? Uh-huh. So there's a directive in live wire called wire poll that basically just turns your component. It just pulls your component, which basically means if you put wire poll five seconds, every just five seconds. Because this is an audio uh, medium it's p-o-l-l yeah yeah every five seconds it will yes. refresh the component yes so this is a way to fake like web sockets functionality if you were like displaying the deploy status of something you could use polling sure um so first my poll default was way too fast <laughs> i think i defaulted to 500 se- milliseconds Mm-hmm. which is just stupid fast for polling. Like nobody would pull it right. 0.5 seconds. Makes sense. Makes sense in like local development environment. Yeah, but. you would not do that. So I think I changed it to two seconds. Honestly, I should change it to like five. Um, I changed it to two seconds by default. And so Till Cruss, he's been the kind of the driver behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, dude, yeah, this is great. Not having to deal with like pusher and everything. He's like, yeah, this is perfect. He's like, but, you know, it's like that small part of the back of my mind that's like the server load, though, you know? It's like, if I'm, you know, polling all the time and then there's all these, if every page is polling all the time and a user has five tabs open, they're just hammering the server for no reason most of the time. And so uh, we started, we're like, well, I bet there's like a page visibility API. Um, And there is. So it's called the page visibility API. 
and you can just listen for when a browser becomes hidden, you know, uh, when a browser tab is like in the background. Mm-hmm. So our first plan of attack is just kill polling if it's in the background, which I did. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And then when it gets foregrounded again, you poll again. Exactly. I resume the polling. Yeah. Smart. So that was fun. And then somebody commented on the issue and was like, hey, what if instead of, because like you would want to poll a little bit. You know, because you still want like stuff to update. You don't want to like come back to a stale page and then wait five seconds. You want it to pull. So what if you just bump it to like every minute or something? Right. So the, he's like, well, what if you just super duper slow down the polling? And I'm like, in the moment, I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. But that sounds so annoying to implement. Like so unbelievably annoying because the polling happens on set timeout. Or I use set interval. So I have to like destroy, I have to like clear that interval, set a new one. I have to manage intervals. Like that sounds horrible. Yep. So here's my solution. Let me know what you think. I think you're going to dig it because you dug the session lottery collection. Super Uh simple. I added. That's, oh, I get where you're going. Go with it. Yeah. So it's just like, there's literally an if statement in my set interval that's like, if live wire in, this is for an early return. My first implementation was if live wire is in the background return so it doesn't continue on to fire the ajax request makes sense sure. mm-hmm. so this is all i added if live wires in background and math.random which gives you a number between zero and one a decimal uh-huh. and math.random is uh greater than 0.95 yeah which basically means every five percent of the time Yep. Let them through. You know, let these yep. polls through. Awesome. What do you think? I love it. Isn't that cool? I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. I was pumped about that. I'm like, dude, this is sweet. And I don't know if I would have thought of it if I didn't know about the session lottery, like garbage oh, collection. Oh, man. The session lottery garbage collection is a mind worm. Yeah, it's nice. It's great. It's nice. Beautiful. Yeah. So I feel like I solved the problem in a really like clean like the cleanest, mm-hmm. most minimal way you could possibly solve this problem in my brain. Yeah, it's dope. So I was it's pretty dope. pumped about that. So so there we go. Sweet. So polling is intelligent. The next level with polling is to group polls. So if you have like three polls with five second interval, group oh, nice. group their requests so that you're only sending yep. one request every five seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, the next one of the next optimizations is grouping requests in general. Um for like multiple components and polling and prefetching and all that stuff. But that's like Make, you going to build yourself a bus and build, got to build a bus, bus network. That is, that is driver with a little hat that, uh, that Livewire has on live view is huh. because it's all like immutable. Everything is just like a state, you know, it's not uh-huh. a live instance. I can do all sorts of crazy stuff that live view can't do. Yeah. Yeah, you can build a bus. I can build a bus. You can be a bus man. Mar- friend of the show, codename Mark. He, mm-hmm. I tweeted out. Did I, you see my tweet? I was like, I want this to exist, and it was Artisan Livewire. Make Artisan Livewire, or no, it was Artisan Livewire RM, MV, CP, and Touch. Oh, you mean the the aliases? Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about them on the show, and we talked about hidden commands, right? uh did we talk about it on the show or do i just read your twitter i don't know i think we talked about it on the show because someone added us about someone tweeted you could do it this way yeah i think so so mark did it he did the pull request and he found out how to hide artist or laravel commands um mm-hmm. for those aliases so it's in the it's in cool. the framework now so now there's make copy move delete and there's also Sweet. aliases RM, touch, CP, MV. Yep. Sweet. Which is so dope. Like they like I hate moving files and renaming files, so this is awesome for me. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. So that's what's new, Decol. They that's a PR for all of the things. Do that for controllers, I know. do that for all the things. It it was a it wasn't a small PR and it wasn't an easy thing. Like it's not I don't love it the implementation hmm. but it works it's good hmm interesting um what about you decoy you got anything new oh nothing new 
Give uh, give your make the change easy, make the easy change sticker to my therapist. He loved it. Awesome. Yeah, I was like, listen, of all of the programming stickers I have, this is the only one that you can stick on your clipboard. <laughs> so here you go. Sweet. <laughs> so he stuck it on his clipboard. So decol. There you go. Yeah. Is there a bumper sticker we could make today? Because. Sticker Mule is doing one of those promotions. It's $19 for like 50 bumper stickers, which is normally like Ooh. a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a bumper sticker we could make today. What would it be? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to, we're going to have to reckon. What do we say on this podcast? Oh, what do we do here? Sebastian Dedine just, uh, tweeted at us or me or someone, um, I think he just tweeted at no plans to merge. Pause. Tangent. Twitter allows you to have multiple accounts now and switch between them. I don't know if this is old news, but it's like a godsend to me. Did you know that? Twitter, the app? Yeah. Like the website. Oh, the website. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Huge news. I no longer have Big to open time. an incognito window, which doesn't have my one password extension to switch and Ugh. do a thing. Ugh. So Sebastian Dedine, he tweeted at us and said he needs a sticker for the next sticker pack. We need a sticker that says, why Dom no good? <laughs> oh my gosh. That is definitely it. Should that be the bumper why? sticker? Yeah. Why I mean, Dom it's 19 no bucks. Yeah, and then anyone who has a friend named Dominic can also use it. Why Tom? No good. <laughs> so should we do it? Just I mean, it could just be like black with white text, like do it in five minutes and buy them. I think we should do that. I think we should do that right now. Okay. Why Dom? No good. Why Dom? No <laughs> good. Bumper stickers. Why Dom? No good. Coming at you. Why Dom? No good. <laughs> what? Oh. Why Dom no good? Why? That's right. <sighs> All right, Tinkle. Mm. Now that we've backed to the show and I have to edit that chunk to be in the middle, we will, uh, with that, are we signing off? I don't see why not. This is a good one. Yep. Yep, but yep. Oh, uh, it's been a while since like we had a chewy problem on a show that I don't feel like I got a good answer to at the end. I know. Cuz these these this is the stuff of legends. This is the stuff that makes people do stupid things <laughs> like you know think of really crazy solutions. Yeah. I don't know. Well, then this like is this. this is an invitation to the listener, you there listener to finish our conversation and come up with the perfect solution. Yeah. This is how we got to Alexa build me a web app too. Was it? Yeah. It was like Daniel wants something and Daniel can't have it (laughs) because it's too hard. (laughs) Right, right, right. There's, this is a history with you. Yeah. You want Alexa build me an app. You want resources Uh so that there's no, you know, like JavaScript is, you know what? Livewire is resources, sort of. It's I not know, exactly what up. you want. I know. No, but it's very close. I know. I've I, I've noticed this for a while, and I've been trying to actually figure out what the differences are. There's not there really that many differences. Your thing's just a better version of my thing. Um, but yeah, Livewire very good. Livewire good. Livewire good. Good good. Livewire good. Dom's so bad though. <laughs> Why Dom no good? <laughs> Why Dom awful? <laughs> oh, oh. Yo, you think I could get like a Why Dom no good t-shirt and sneak into like the W3C conference or something? <laughs> and just like hold a sign that says, Why Dom no good? <laughs> I do think that you could do that. So is this bumper sticker going to be black and white or is there like any design to it? Is there like, why Dom no good? 
It might just have to just be wide domino. I think it's just... And then maybe our logo, like, in the bottom right, if it works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why the heck is the dom no the good? No good. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll make a bumper sticker and hopefully we'll send it out or something to every listener. They're they're cheap. Every listener. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, right. I'd like to cue the outro music now. All right. I'm going to click the button.